Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed by Rob Black and his guests are not necessarily those of KDOW or its management owners or advertisers and should not be construed as legal tax or investment advice. Always consult with the appropriate advisor before making any investment or financial planning decision. Where investors rule. You're listening to Rob Black and your money on AM 1220 KDOW. What type of investors would my kids be? What type of investor am I and what type of investor is my father? I look at three different generations and it's kind of trippy. I kind of wanted to start in the 50s, even if that doesn't really mean anything to you or my dad. My dad was probably more of a 60s investor, 70s, 80s, and 90s. But when you go back to the 50s, you think post-war baby boom. And you really saw how America started chugging along. We had these factories that were great at making weapons, great at making ammunition, great at making guns, great at making tanks, great at making oh, we can turn those into cars and dishwashers and refrigerators. We just have to sell the American people that idea. So the post-war baby boom continued in the 50s. But we also started to get into what was the Korean War. We got into color TV in 1951. What a hoot. Can you imagine 1951 color TV and what an amazing miracle it was? You've heard stories about people sitting around watching television shows. Now you're just like, go to your room and watch YouTube. And you look at the screen on an Apple iPad is, whoa, it's almost magical. But in 1951, if you were an investor, you might have said, I should, I want to own me some of that RCA Victor. Because they had the color TVs. And they called it Big Color. If you were smart enough to invest in a record label in the 1950s, you got in... Before rock and roll was rock and roll, you probably did pretty well. In 1952, the United States looked around the world and we decided to open up an Immigration Naturalization Act. That's pretty trippy. In this day and age where we're chanting build that wall and we're looking at immigrants differently than we have in the past. I would build a great wall, and nobody builds walls better than me, believe me. And I'll build them very inexpensively. The Statue of Liberty has become the Statue of Bigotry, where some immigrants are better than others. It's like, are you kidding me? As a mother, you know, you can't say which one is your favorite kid, right? But in 1952, the United States passed the Immigration Naturalization Act that basically said, give us your poor, your hungry, your needy. And it changed the country. We got a low cost of labor. I've got a friend recently who did a tour of the South and all the monuments that should be torn down or not torn down. And she's impassioned, impassioned about it. Every one of them should be torn down. <clears throat> and I made the mistake of asking, you know that slavery probably helped the United States become an economic superpower, right? Uh-oh. <laughs> that was the wrong thing to say. Cheap labor. You know that, that Apple phone you have right now is based not on slave labor, but pretty darn close Chinese labor. 
So in the United States, in 1952, on May 4th, we passed the Immigration Naturalization Act, where we allowed just a complete change in our workforce. So if you're second generation, third generation, and you benefited from this, you probably know that your parents came from nothing, and they added up to a lot, or something like that. In 1953, DNA was discovered. What a hoot, right? DNA. And it took us another 40, 50 years to really crack the sequencing. And now we're starting to move from a world of science that was tied towards molecular science, where pharmaceutical would, would fabricate great you know, drugs for like companies like Pfizer, to DNA, genetic. Joseph Stalin died in 1953. The world started to open up sometime around World War II and the death of Stalin. The idea of communism, the idea of socialism versus countries and their ideals of we can get further along with capitalism. It's not been a smooth ride. You know that and I know that. 1954, we got our first atomic submarine. Think about that. Do you remember the stories tied towards atomic submarines? They could live underwater for thousands of years with their power. Queen Elizabeth was coronated in 1953. Think about that for a second. For her to be coronated, who had to die? King George VI. I know you're saying, you're rocking the English history in the 1950s. Yeah, we still live in a world where we have allies, and we have, the English have always been our allies, right? And then we have situations where, you know, the the commies, and that's why we had nuclear subs, because we had to, you know, tet for tet with them. And that's still kind of true today. The more things change, the more they don't change is what I'm getting at. Birth control trials began in 1954. One of my very first clients was a nun, and a nun walked into my office. True story. And she basically said, in the 1950s, I was dating a young man. And I guess this is before she became a nun. And, or maybe it was after. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. But she basically said he invested in Pfizer when they released birth control. And he was worth millions of dollars because it was game changing. It was game changing. Now, do you see game changing events on a regular basis today? You do. You're seeing all sorts of breakthroughs on cancer to the point that I almost want to start smoking. I won't, but I almost want to. She was smart enough to walk into my office and say there was a moment 45 years ago where he chose to invest, and I chose to go, isn't that interesting? There was a report released in 1954 that said cigarettes cause cancer. Yep. So now we're 50, we're 65 years after that report, and people still smoke. Ain't that crazy? People, you could invest in the fact that people will be stupid. It's pretty common. You know, I remember when I was in like 7th or 8th grade, I thought if I grabbed some of those cigarettes, just the cigarette butts that were in the ashtrays in sand, that they'd grow into cigarette trees. Because I kind of had this thing that spaghetti was grown on trees, therefore cigarettes must be grown on trees. Sadly, I wasn't very smart, and trees never grow. But we've had cancer, and we've known about cigarettes causing it for 65 years. Ain't that a hoot? In June 1954, racial, racial segregation ruled unconstitutional in public schools. To this day and age, I challenge you to go to the East Coast and not feel race tensions. 
They're there. They're there. One of the things, uh, when I packed up and moved from the East Coast to the West Coast 20 years ago, one of the very first things I noticed was the race tensions were a lot less. Now, maybe I'm not seeing them. Maybe I'm like being whitewashed in this this neighborhood of just like Uber wealth and Facebook wealth and Google wealth and Apple wealth. But the tensions seem a lot less. But yet, like I said, we've outlawed it for 46, 54, 64 plus years. So the Vietnam War began in 1955. I was a Vietnam War II baby, which means my dad did two tours. One tour where he counted dead bodies and how much ammunition. One tour where he was a tank commander. I grew up in a military family. And uh, it was at that time I learned, don't you ever have race issues? Because if a person of color serves under your father, you'd be good to those people. You'd be really, really good in the military we're all the same here comes the birth of Silicon Valley chances are you have an iPhone chances are you've ridden in an Uber chances you may not know that all this world changing technology probably started with Sputnik on some level Silicon Valley has helped flourish the tech industry providing growth for tech companies that shape our lives in so many ways you keep hearing or you keep seeing some of these memes that your son or daughter will never know life without the internet i don't even know if we should be teaching reading anymore because now books can be read to you i don't even know if we should be teaching how to cook when uber will bring food to you and amazon will deliver it to you the only thing we're missing is jeff bezos chomping up the food and dropping it in our mouths like little bit uh baby birds I, I seriously question, do we need to have our kids read books as much as we used to when there's now books on tape? I know you're saying, but Rob, it's all about their brain developing. Minds and innovation that thrive and live in the Bay Area are developing a lot of key feature technology. San Francisco Bay Area receives more than 50% of the country's venture capital funding. A lot of money <clears throat> continues to fund it, funnel in here. Why? Because we have high-quality engineers. At least two schools within, you know, 50 miles of each other. That would be considered two of the best in the world. Talking Berkeley and Stanford. But then you get into further California schools down the coast. That also do pretty nice jobs of kicking out high-quality engineers. In the Bay Area, you have people that are used to taking risks. It's risk-taking culture. And that, with venture capitalists mixed in with superb universities and you get pissed off about Sputnik. So Americans were broken hearted when Russia beat the United States in the space race. And you know what happened out of that? The birth of NASA and Silicon Valley. NASA was created ultimately to help develop, get us, they needed components to get into space. We wanted to be the first to get the man on the moon. And there was a company called Fairchild Semiconductor right during the time of the Cold War. I know you're saying Cold Wars and wars in general created tech innovation. Yeah, you betcha. So the seminal event that sparked and ignited Silicon Valley's innovative risk-taking culture five decades ago is Sputnik. If not for Sputnik, we would not have witnessed the massive tech innovations that spawned from Fairchild what are known as the Fair Children, companies that came out of Fairchild Semiconductor, 
companies like Intel, companies like AMD, companies like NVIDIA. You had a hardware industry that emerged. And then to support the hardware industry, the software industry flourished. And then once we figured out that we can connect two computers and talk to them through telephone lines, the internet industry flourished. Very area innovation always changing what we're doing. You've seen companies like Napster change the music industry. And it took a long time for it to recover. You've seen companies like Uber and Lyft change the taxi industry. Will it ever go back? One of the jobs that an immigrant could come to the United States and do in the 1950s, 60s, 70s, cab driver. Right? You could even argue that Barack Obama is president partially as a result of embracing social media technologies. Companies like Salesforce cloud-based software for campaign management. If Salesforce didn't have such a robust platform, would there have been political disruption that got an a man of color elected to the president of the United States? Or would that have taken more years if it was back to the old newspapers and the, the town criers? It's a lot, a lot of disruptive technologies and innovation come, again, because of Sputnik. Think about the transportation sector, an industry that hasn't changed much in the last half century. Automated self-driving cars are something we already are sharing the roads with in the Bay Area. It's funny, you know, the first time you saw a, a camera loaded with uh, a car loaded with cameras, you're like, okay, okay, I see they're probably mapping the streets. I get it. Yeah. I saw a guy walking yesterday with a backpack and cameras all over it. And I thought to myself, I wonder if that's a good way to meet women. Have a backpack with like nine, 10 cameras, you know, that dangle five feet above your head. Or in this day and age, we've seen that before and no one's going to come up to you and talk to you like you have a puppy. Who doesn't love puppies, right? But automated self-driving cars are becoming more and more real. That disruption is going to offer a sizable boost to economic growth with the number of accidents falling because of the sensor-based self-driving technology. Well, it's not my fault. We all had friends in high school who died from car accidents. Some of them were drunk. Some of them weren't. Some of them were just high school kids, you know, clowning around. That should go down. Your insurance rates should go down in your cars as you get self-driving cars and cars that you know keep you in the lane assist and things along those lines. They should go down because there will be fewer accidents. And in theory, if the insurance is one thing, they are driven by numbers and data. So the question is, will mobile commerce and communication, as unlimited as it feels right now, what will that do to us? The unlimited information has changed the game. I had a set of Encyclopedia Britannica. Encyclopedias. It was a little dated. It was probably meant for my middle brother. I was the fifth of five boys. Probably a little dated, but I remember when I had to look up Space Race, that's where I went. Now I'd just tell my kid, go, go Google Space Race. Go Google Internet. Go, go Google Sputnik. Go Google Monkey in Space. I'm pretty sure there's videos of Monkey in Space or there's a lot of text on monkeys in space. So for now, the next big level of innovation, it's the Internet of Things. It's the IoT. You know how many dumb conversations I've had? Why don't they put sensors in refrigerators to tell you when your food's gone bad? Why don't they put cameras in your, in your, in your 
Uh, refrigerator, so you can be in the store, you can spy on your food. <laughs> like, you want to spy on your food? Sure. Okay. I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. We're going to have a lot more cameras everywhere. Companies like Facebook, LinkedIn, eBay, YouTube, they're all great examples of platform-based approaches that have scaled with skyrocketing numbers. The healthcare industry is getting ready for it. We keep saying that. Should happen at some point in time. Big tectonic shift coming out of the Bay Area. A lot of cloud-based security issues. I saw an ad the other day for set up a security camera for less than $150, where that used to cost like $1,000 plus to get them to come to your house. They'd always treat you like, okay, okay there, little lady. I'm going to screw this in the wall and uh, charge you a lot of money. Costs are coming down. Thank you, Stanford. Thank you, Berkeley. Thank you, Oxford. Thank you, uh, the world. I'm at my gym, and I see four guys doing a draft. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? Like, I'm, I'm paying attention from a distance. And they're basically setting up their season tickets where they each get, what is it, 20? What's a basketball? 80 games? So five games each, I guess, or something like that. So they're, they're like figuring out. And they're like, well, if we sell this game, then we can pay for the whole season tickets, right? Boom. I'm like, okay. Good problem to have, right? But I see them. They probably got venture capital money or mommy and daddy money. They got something in there, dot-com money, to kind of afford that kind of luxury. I see people go to the Raider games, and I'm like, wow, that's a lot of money to drop on one day of, of entertainment. Going to a sporting event now is a lot of money to drop on one day of entertainment. I've got a friend who's got a three-year-old kid, and he went to his first Giants game and probably dropped $100 plus. I'm like, your kid probably wouldn't have noticed and you just gone to the, the stadium and walked around outside. <laughs> it would have been the same thing. But then I see people like who have AR-15s. I'm like, that's an expensive rifle. I bet, they don't, I bet they're not maxing out their 401ks. We all do things culturally to stop ourselves from being financial successes. In the 1960s, like I said, in the 1950s, we had Sputnik. But in the 1960s, we had the race to orbit the moon and get land on the moon. You had JFK, who was a president who basically was young. Asked not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. Kind of motivated people. You had Muhammad Ali running around the ring, heavyweight champion of the world. People were in love with it. Disney died in 1966. You know, I still haven't been to Disney. But what that man created with animated films, he died of cancer. It tells you, you probably should have been an investor then. In the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s, 2010s. That man makes magic. I'm in the process of cutting cable. And part of cutting cable is you take your old cable box and go, Oh man, I got a lot of movies on DVR on that. Most of mine are tied towards Pixar films for the kids. And I'm like, okay, I just got to do it. I just got to do it. And Pixar Disney, Pixar Disney. It's like, it's tough to do. And anyway, in 1968, you got the assassination of Martin Luther King, civil rights leader. So we had a lot going on. And as an investor, you know, this was just about the time where my dad was becoming an investor. And I bring this up not as, you know, the obvious, and there is an obvious here. But if you go way back, way, way, way back to 1896, the Dow Jones Industrial Index was formed. 
1933, you started getting Congress involved with rules and regulations that stopped corporations from being publicly traded and hurting people and from brokers doing the same thing. The Investment Company Act started regulating mutual funds. Mutual funds were basically not for the average people. Until 1975, when discounted brokers and index funds were born. It's kind of a cool moment. 1957, you had the S&P 500 thrown out there. And my father, when he would buy stocks, he would pay $500, $600 just for the right to buy part of a company. There was a broker who was a middleman. So my dad, maybe he didn't play golf, but let's say he played golf with his broker. His broker would go, well, Clint, I've got this great investment idea for you. My dad will go, yeah, what is it? Color TV. You like color TV? And he goes, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, what's the problem with color TV? And he's like, get it up and changing the channel. And you could invest in companies that did remote controls and things like that, right? You get the idea. Um, but it was expensive to buy and sell stocks. You had to be of wealth. Now today, it's absolutely free to go to Fidelity and, and buy a mutual fund or an index fund. That's pretty crazy. The cost of investing in corporate America and buying some Apple. Now, when you own Apple, you become an owner. You can't go in stores and fire people. Don't try that. I've tried it. You can't do that. But you become an owner. And the discount brokers, we have to think for that in 1975. That was my dad's lifetime. And it still didn't change till the 1990s where the fees got down to 20 bucks, $19, $20 trade, $15 trade, $10 trade, $9.99 trade. And that kind of started to happen. The first consumer ETF hit in 1991. The first internet stock was completed via trade through E-Trade in 1993. And when you had the internet stock doing the trade, suddenly the broker got squeezed out and suddenly things dropped fast as far as prices go. And it got a little bit ludicrous, got a little bit silly. You saw commercials during the Super Bowl for E-Trade of like a monkey riding into the moon. If the monkey can make millions of dollars, you can make millions of dollars. It comes back to the monkey and Sputnik, right? Right. Right. Okay, that might be a little bit of a stretch. But now, like, I know discount brokers. I know cheap brokers. I know cheap trades. I know ETFs. I know index funds. And then the kids today, they're like, oh, yeah, we're using Betterment. We're using LearnVest. We're using Robinhood. We're using Acorns to invest and save. And I think that's cool. Because where my dad had to pay $400 and I had to pay $20 a trade, now you pay nothing. But also you can do things like you could get a latte and it's four fifty extra $0.50. Cents, we'll round it to $5 and they'll put it in a savings account for you. That's kind of cool. You can get on Robinhood, link a bank account. Today, go to lunch. Your friend Pepe. Pepe Le Pew. He is a French designer for Apple. He goes, I'm the world's greatest French designer. And I work for Apple. And he tells you he's going he's to clue something off. We have a, the Apple Watch 4 coming out, and it measures hemorrhoid pressure. You're like, it measures hemorrhoid pressure? Yes. And you're like, well, I, I think I should buy some before everyone else knows. And you're like, why are you giving me insider information that's illegal? That's a whole different part of the story. I, don't have a, I haven't made anything up for that yet. But the point being is you could be at lunch, and you could buy one share of Apple. Or a better example of buying one share of Apple is... Like if it's earnings season and you know that they've got the new phones coming out, you know, they probably did well. You've heard, you know, the rumors that they're going to blow out numbers. 
You could buy it at lunch today and then sell it tomorrow at lunch. Long term, does the Robinhood uh, business model hold up? Probably not. There'll be a division of a bigger brokerage firm down the road. But automated investment services, which give you sophisticated technologies and strategies to simplify and automate your portfolio is awesome. One of the best buttons you have on your 401k if you go online and a lot of people, I've got a friend, get this. I was like, can I Venmo you the money? And they're like, no, I don't have Venmo. I'm like, don't you have an online bank? You can just do it like in three seconds. If you have an online bank, go get Venmo and put it on your online bank. No, I don't do online banking. I'm like, are you kidding me? There is one person in the Bay Area who still writes checks. Anyhow, and anyway, um, David Burton's got a new book out or he has a book out a couple months ago. Uh, called How Music Works. And he talks about how technology changed music. Technology changed the way we created and consumed music. Same thing goes with money. Technology has been the driver behind new kinds of venues, music composition, new instruments, recording systems. Do you remember the first time you heard a drum machine? You used to have to pay a drummer to do that. Poor drummer. He's out of job. So when technology meets music, it changes the industry. There's a program called Adobe Edition that it's kind of legendary in the radio industry. It's simple to use. It's simple to mix tracks. It's simple to pull off. That didn't always happen. You used to have to have a recording engineer. And when Rob Black could be a recording engineer, you're in trouble. Now, is Rob Black going to be as good of a recording engineer as the famous one who plays with Sonny Liston? And you're saying, Sonny Liston's a boxer from the 60s. You're, you're getting confused. Okay, I am. But when technology hit music, it changed how music works. How we create it, how we consume it. Remember the days of having an old album and then a cassette tape? And then when the cassette tape on occasion, we get tangled and you're like, oh, that was my favorite cassette tape. Worse yet, if you bought an album on cassette versus buying the album and then taping it or whatever you would do. But the way... Technology has hit music, media, food, transportation, and money. It's a tie change for investors. And again, it's something my father will never, ever have had the benefit of, of enjoying. With the rise of personal computers in the late 80s and the 90s, discount brokers and online trading platforms emerged. Target date funds and ETFs became byproducts. Betterment's a leading use of technology with automated investments and they get on your phone and they kind of remind you, Hey, don't forget to do some sit-ups today or Hey, don't forget to fund today. And the rebalance on your 401k. Awesome, right? That's a pretty powerful tool. You can hit a button and it'll automatically rebalance your portfolio for you to the weighting that you wanted at the beginning of the year or a couple of years ago. We're getting popular ETFs. We're getting kind of mass flows and in index funds and ETFs. And that's scary because we used to do it all based on individual stocks and a stock market correction would be different than a stock market correction is today. But cloud computing allows engineers to build, model, and test new trading platforms in time-efficient ways. There's all sorts of uh, companies that do financial advice or find fintech. Personal Capital, Future Advisor, LearnVest, SigFig, FeeX, and much, much more, helping millions of investors. And I'm proud of that. And I think that's a great thing. And Welcome to the party. So taking one last crack, you know, you've heard what modern, you've heard the term modern portfolio theory. You've probably heard CFPs talk about modern portfolio theory and the Monaco simulator 
tell you how not to lose money in the stock market. You know when modern portfolio theory was was created? 1952. And that's why it ain't so modern anymore. A lot of people think they're diversified when they're not diversified. I own way too much big tech. I've been riding the big kahuna surfboard for a while. I'm like, bonds, schmans. I don't need it. I got my large cap tech. I got my small caps. I got my flippy floppies. They all correlate with the market in different ways. And every now and then you'll hear about non-correlating assets. Maybe publicly traded REITs would be an example about that. But keep in mind, modern portfolio theory didn't save your hiney in 2000 or 2008. Everyone lost money. I remember it was so bad in 2000 that I was like, I'm not going to open these paper statements that come in the mail anymore. I don't want to see how much money I've lost. And then in 2008, I'm like, I don't want to open these emails that have my statements on PDF anymore. It's like the more things change, the more they stay the same, right? If you went to go see your cardiologist and he goes, I'm going to do open heart surgery like we did in the 1950s. You'd probably be like, um, excuse me, I'm out here. So you got to change with the times. Doctors do too, right? A lot of technology going on it. Number of publicly listed companies is down by almost half from its peak in 1996. So we're not as, I'm not going to say as greedy, but as egregious might be the right way. I want you to get retirement. I want you to know that your hard-earned dollars are working for you in capitalist markets and low-cost capitalist markets. I can see a day and age when the investment advisor is a different player. Costs are coming down. People are realizing computer algorithms can do probably what they do. But then we go back to the 1929 crash or the 2000 crash or the 2008 crash. And we go, I'd rather have a human holding my hand than no one at all. When you get a big crash, our government responded with the 1940 Investment Company Act. Where it made companies more liable with their portfolio holdings, their compensation, their financial statuses, their information. So I prefer stocks over alternative investments. I'm not against alternative investments, but alternative investments include real estate, commodities, private equity, hedge funds, and more. I think you have to have a lot of money to own real estate as investment. You can say your house is the best investment you ever made. No, your house is a liability. You, you pay on it on a monthly basis. It is nice that you're paying yourself rent. Then there's another category out there of guaranteed income that you have to be really careful on. Nothing's guaranteed. If, you, if you're following me, nothing is guaranteed. I like looking at the big events of the years, and I showed you where the 1950s, I tied it towards Silicon Valley and Sputnik and the space race. The 1990s, when I grew up, it's not lost on me that we launched the World Wide Web, the Deb Deb Deb, and the information age arrived. And you would get your information on Hollywood from AOL, not necessarily from the television anymore. If you wanted to know what Jennifer Aniston's haircut looked like, you can go to AOL and find it because there was a Jennifer Aniston like area. The hypertext documents. Do you remember hypertext documents like as a thing? You're like, what does that mean? But in the 90s, we ushered in the creation of all things digital, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, Whisper, and it connected us in different ways. 
In the 1990s, we got the Rodney King verdict, and the L.A. riots tore the nation apart. What do we got today? The NFL national anthem protests? You got a couple cops that tend to shoot unarmed people? Kind of more things change, more they stay the same, right? In 1990s, we got the Oklahoma City bombing, Oklahoma City bombings. And suddenly the word terrorism really hit America for the first time. And I could be wrong on that, but to me, it really hit America for the first time. And we've been a different country ever since. The way we build buildings, the way we do security, the way we do checkpoints, it became national consciousness. And first world trade bombing was pulled off by a handful of Muslims. Oklahoma City, caused by two Americans, Timothy McVeigh and Terry Nichols. 1990s gave us Bill Clinton, probably the rise of the smooth-talking president. He was youngish. He was cool. He got stuff done. He wrote out a scandal. He was charismatic, very calculating. He knew how to use the media. With, with no slick willy, there would probably be no Donald Trump. We'd be still in career politician mode. I know you're saying, are you, call, are you making fun of the president by calling him slick willy? I'm not. But in the 1990s, we got Newt Gingrich, and he, he represented the right. He brought the right back, the conservative America, which we're hearing more and more about today. So rap music started a huge debate. Hip-hop, my dad hated it. He, he hated it. If I came home playing hip-hop, you would have thought I, I, oh. And today we still have a debate over race, class, and censorship. In the 1990s, we saw the real world Pedro Zamora get HIV and pass. All on TV. Kind of changed the way we thought about TV, right? Seinfeld was all about friends who are single and in their 20s. Now we look at millennials who are single in their 20s. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I'm Rob Black, talking history. Find me online at robblackshow.com. <laughs> 